welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Turn in your Bibles this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, I don't even need to preach after that, it's awesome. 1 Samuel chapter 4, as we continue our journey last week, we went through the whole chapter 3, and we march forward today. I want to start off this morning with a quote as you're turning there. From R.C. Sproul, it says this, The human dilemma is this. God is holy, and we are not. God is righteous, and we are not. Just process that for a second. It's a powerful quote. The human dilemma is this. God is holy, and we are not. God is righteous, and we are not. Uh, The fact that this is a human dilemma means that this is a dilemma for you and me this morning. Um, it's a dilemma for every person that's ever lived, um, is living now, and will ever live in the future. Uh, and it's so important to grasp because, grasp because uh, a dilemma really can, like, it really forces you to take action. And in the sense of the human heart, it's an action of direction. Like, which way am I going to go? When you're confronted with the fact that God is holy and I am not, there is an action that has to be faced. Now, why is this so important? to grasp is that every person at some point in their life, every person, there's nobody that gets an exception to this, has to come face to face with the fact that God is holy. Actually, don't just talk about God's holiness, his whole character, his whole being. Every one of us has to come to a reality of who God is at some point in our life. And there's really two things that we can do with that. Um, We can respond in the right way, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, which is repentance or we can reject that powerful truth. So today in our passage, as we get into it, we're going to watch the results of a nation um, who has literally, deliberately rejected God. Said, you know what? We don't need them. We don't want them. They've hardened their hearts. And now God, as he always does, because of his holiness and righteousness, he's, uh, he's gonna pursue the glory that he deserves. God will not be denied the glory that he deserves. It's a, um, one of the hardest realities for us as humans is that God will be glorified. And therefore, when we're not glorifying him, sometimes you have to do things to get, his, to get attention of us to say, listen, you're not giving me glory. So just a little context, and then we'll read the passage and work through it together and just pull out a few things quickly this morning. Uh, for Israel, we're going to see a shift now. In the next three chapters... There's going to be a shift where we're going to follow the wanderings of the Ark of the Covenant, which is really going to be a picture of how far the hearts of the Israelites have wandered from God. That's that's where we're going over the next three chapters. It's going to be a visual picture of that. It's been about 300 years since the time of Joshua and Moses. Flip that order, Moses and Joshua. 300 years. So that's approximately 10 to 12 generations have come and gone. And the stories of what God did through the time of Moses and Joshua had now have become legends and almost fairy tales to the people of Israel. 
Yeah. Great, great, great grandpa told us that one about crossing the Red Sea. And how many times before that? You know, they, it's, just, it's just become this thing that they almost tell stories about. And so now where we're at, we focus our shift from the life and times of Samuel and all the things that were happening in around his immediate circle to what's happening on the big picture with Israel. Uh, Samuel has now grown up and he's on the job as a prophet. Um, where Pastor John left off last week, we see that the voice of Samuel was recognized by all of Israel as someone who spoke for the Lord. So he's, he's really a prophet. He's grown up. He's in his duties. The problem with what he's doing is nobody's listening. <laughs> okay? He is a prophet speaking for the Lord, but it's falling on deaf ears. Frustrating job. It gets worse. His contemporary, the judge who is judging Israel at the exact same time as Samuel is being a prophet, is a dude named Samson. Talk about a stressful coworker. Okay, um, Samson, uh, we know his, like God used him in powerful ways, but it had to be a stressful guy to work with. Um, Samson, are you seriously gonna do that right now? We're like, we're trying to do God's work here and you're gonna go do that and kill 3,000 people with a jawbone? You know, like, th- like Samson is his contemporary um, in the book of Judges as we study this passage this morning. So the, it's the same God, okay? The same God who did all the plagues in Israel, who parted the Red Sea, led the whole nation of Israel to the promised land is now just a, another god, small g, in the pantheon of the pagan religions back then. He's a, he's a part of their worship. They would still say, yeah, we, we worship God. But they've also, as a group and as a people, have brought in other small gods. And the consequences are grave. Uh, the generational sin cycles, we've all maybe are aware of the sin cycle that we can see in the life of Israel as a nation. Uh, there's some powerful things in that. Uh, and Israel, just to, to put it point blank, has a heart problem. As a nation, they have a heart problem. And it goes deep. But you know what's so amazing is throughout all their unfaithfulness, you still see a God who is what? Faithful. It's amazing. I think one of the coolest things will be um, when we get to heaven to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness with the people who actually follow God in Israel. I mean, just think about it for a second. Like, if that's not on the playlist, I'm going to request it, okay? Like, it's going to be amazing to sit there with the people who lived during this time, the few that followed God, like the Samuels, and say, you know what? It was difficult. It was ugly. It was challenging, but God was faithful. I think of verse 3 uh, in Great is Thy Faithfulness, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer into God. God walked them through the desert with fire and a cloud. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Manna falling from heaven. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. We see that Israel has a heart problem here and God continues to be faithful. So God's gonna get their attention and that's where we come to our passage this morning. Um, Back to our quote of great consequence this morning. The human dilemma is that God is holy and we are not. God is righteous and we are not. I said a dilemma forces us to take action, okay? When you get pulled over by a cop, that's a dilemma. You have a, a point of decision now. What do you do? I can either take off of my car and run or I can pull over, pull over. It's smarter, okay? Um, but every like, dilemma forces us to take action. And so the human heart is forced to take action either of surrender or rejection. Um, and that's what we've already seen beautifully, the heart of um, just repenting and saying, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrated this morning is that if God's done that work in our life, we've surrendered our life to God. But we all know that there's many around us who are reject. That's, that's the path that most are on. So I just want to highlight, let's jump in this morning. Let's actually start um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And just, I just want to read the last two verses, verses 19 to 21. Let's start there just to recap what's happening here. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. 
And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. We see Samuel is speaking on behalf of the Lord, and it says that all of Israel recognized this. The problem was they weren't listening. So here we go. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4, follow with me. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They camped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. It's a bad day for the Israelites. And, and here we're going to begin to see, okay, I talked about the heart, the human heart. Every heart that's ever lived is forced. When they, when they understand who God is, they're forced to make a decision. And there's three results of someone who rejects God. And I want us to understand these three things that can happen because almost everyone in your life probably falls into one of these three categories. So it's a great tool for us in evangelism, but it's also a great opportunity for us to look at our own hearts and say, all right, where am I at if I'm a follower of Christ? So we see here the first thing that they do, the Israelites as a nation, is they replace God. That's the first response that a heart has that rejects God. They replace God with something else. Judges 21-25 says, in, the, in those days, which we're talking about now, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their what? Own eyes. The people stopped listening to the counsel of the Lord and just straight up replaced God with their own wisdom and direction. It's literally what they were doing. God, we don't need you, so we have to replace you. There's a vacuum there. People replace God with something else. This is still happening today. It takes many different forms, uh, but it's still the same thing is happening today. And so um, one of the main ways that we can see this in our culture right now is through the, through the lens of humanism, okay? And so rather than me explaining humanism, I was listening. It was, God sent it to me the other day. I was listening in bed. I, I like to listen to TED Talks to fall asleep because I have to wait to fall asleep until Kristen falls asleep because she says I snore too loud. So I, have to, I put headphones in. I try to listen to a TED Talk before I fall asleep. So I was listening to this TED Talk, and um, it was by a gentleman named Leo Igwe, and the title of this is Why I Chose Humanism Over Faith, so he begins to articulate, I would check it out, just go to TED Talks, type it in, why I chose humanism. It's a powerful, he does a great job at articulating his belief system. It says, something happened to me while I was studying in the seminary and training to be a priest. I came in contact with a different idea of life, an idea of life that contradicted the main teachings of religion, humanism. Some of you may be wondering, what on earth is humanism? Humanism is a way of thinking and living that emphasizes the agency of human beings, Humanism stresses the fact that we human beings are capable of changing the world, that we have the power to make a difference in our lives, both individually and collectively, without recourse to some outside force. It may interest you to know that the best humanist lessons I learned were not from reading philosophy books or from poring over humanist manifestos and declarations. No, not at all. The best humanist lesson I learned was from the life of my own parents. My parents came from a poor family background um, in southeastern Nigeria. Now, this, this gentleman that I'm reading from um, is a humanitarian. He does work, and his heart, okay, is, is to do good things in Africa, to change genocide and other things, doing good work, okay? Um, and his, he's from Africa, and his desire is to change that continent for the better. So my parents came from a poor family background in southeastern Nigeria. They had limited opportunities, but my parents did not allow the circumstances of their bad upbringing to determine the ambition and dreams for themselves, my father worked part-time, trained as a teacher, and rose to become a headmaster at the local primary school. My mother dropped out of school quite early because her mother, my grandmother, could not afford her education. As a parent, my mother worked very hard, combining farming, petty trading, and taking care of my siblings and me. 
There was a civil war in Nigeria. Things were very hard. My father and mother continued to work um, to take care of me, and he just describes what his parents did. So then he says this, so as a humanist, I believe that human beings are challengers, not prisoners of faith. Our destinies are in our hands, not predetermined. And it's left for us to shape our lives and destinies to reflect our best hopes and aspirations. I believe that human beings have the power to turn situations of poverty into those of wealth and prosperity. We have the capacity to alleviate suffering, extend life, prevent diseases, cure debilitating ailments, reduce infant mortality, and preserve our planet. But we cannot accomplish these goals by wishful thinking with our eyes closed or an armchair armchair speculation of expecting salvation from the sky. And he just ends, I'll just paraphrase, I'm going through his thing, I can't read the whole thing. just want to say that up front. But so as a humanist, I believe in proactive approach to life. The changes that we want cannot be achieved only by dreaming, but require doing as well. There's a lot of good stuff in here. The challenges that we face cannot go away if we recoil and retreat into our shells, wishing and imagining that our problems will somehow magically disappear. The good life that we desire will not fall like manna from heaven. This is just a small glimpse into one of the ways that we see how our culture has replaced God. They've taken the view of humans and said, you know what, we can do it on our own. You know, my heart broke as I read this because uh, we would probably link arms in a lot of causes that this man is all about. But the sad part is he's removed God altogether and says, we don't need him. We can do this on our own. And that's heartbreaking. So you see here as we get into this context of where Israel was, they had turned their back on God and said, we don't need him. The heart that rejects God Uh, will replace God with something or someone else. That's verse 3. Let's keep reading. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. Uh Uh-oh, look who's here. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. So we see this is a problem from leadership down in Israel. It's because their leaders were not leading them the way they should. We know in past chapters, just like Eli's sons and all the priesthood, um, how broken they were. Um, Sometimes they weren't even carrying out the sacrifices that they should. And when they were, they weren't doing it properly as God commanded. And so there's two things happening in these two verses. And I'll just point out two two theories on what's being taken. But why go get the Ark of the Covenant? Why carry that into battle? One is they were copying the pagans of the day. When uh, When they would fight not play, when they would fight other um, people groups, often those people would take their pagan gods and march them out in front of them as a good luck charm and say, look, these are our gods, they're going to save us. But the second um, theory is, is much more supported by theologians, and it comes from Joshua 6, 2 to 7. For sake of time, we won't turn there. We were going to walk through that, but let me just read it. Anybody remember the story of Joshua and Jericho? Okay. What did the Israelites pull or take with them by direction from God to say, if you're going to defeat this monstrous city, which you have no chance of defeating without me, here's what I want you to go get and do. What did they grab? The ark. And they said, Joshua said, God has told me, go grab the ark and march it in front of you and then do these things around the city. And we know what happened. They gave a great shout after marching day after day. And God tore down the city and did an amazing work for the people of Israel in that moment. You know, the second result of a heart that rejects God is that we turn God into a ritual. We ritualize God, okay? 
what do I mean by this? This is the hardest one to explain, okay? Because um, we really have to work through, like, what does this actually mean to ritualize God? But it's one that's probably the most common in our culture, okay? And so here's what it is. To ritualize something is to make something into a ritual by following a pattern of actions or behavior, okay? You got that? A ritual is turning something or following something by a pattern of actions or behavior. So you see the difference of what happened last time. They were listening to the voice of God, and God says, go grab the ark. I'm going to do an amazing thing. I'm going to save you. You see what's happening this time? They go, what happened? The ark. We should go grab that ark thing, because last time we had the ark, um, God did an amazing work. So if we go get the ark, there's no doubt that thing was good luck. Let's go grab that again, and let's bring it out this time, and then God's going to work for our benefit in this situation. Never consulting God. They're missing the mark here when they're saying, Um, They're focused on the ark. God was not in the ark. And sadly, uh, they looked at something, a practice and a behavior of the past, and they said, that will save us. You see what they did there? They minimized God into a, a singular action that he took and said, that means he'll do it again. You know, this is hard to explain, but if, if you think about it in modern day, okay, we, we do this a lot in our culture. We say, you know, if I do certain things, but God, if I go to church... Then, so you think, what is ritual? Ritual is this. If, if I do this, then God will. You see what the problem with that is? If I do this, then God will. That's turning God into a ritual or a behavior or a pattern that we, if we do this, God's going to work. And so we do this in a lot of different areas. We say, if I go to church, and, and God sits there and goes, yeah, but do you love me? It's not about going to church. But God, I'm a good person compared to most other people. I even volunteer at the local food bank. And if there's a major humanitarian crisis, I'm there first. And God says, yeah, but do you love me? God, I go to confession. I never miss. And when it's been a rough week, I might even go to confession twice. But God says, do you love me or do you love the feeling that you get from confessing your sins to someone? Because my grace is enough. God, I get up early for FCA before school so that I can um, show that I'm a Christian. And God says, yeah, that's great, but do you love me? We can often be more focused on the actual worship of God than worshiping God himself. Like we can, we can get so into the actual worshiping of God that we're focused on the worship, the act, the behavior, and we miss the whole thing, the purpose, the reason of why we're worshiping, and that's God himself. We turn God into a ritual. The Israelites thought that they could take control of the situation by their own actions and get the ark into battle, and God would show up and work to their advantage. Um, God doesn't need to work to our advantage. God works to his own advantage. And that's a powerful truth that we have to understand as believers is that God is not about our advantage. He's about his own advantage. And the people of Israel are totally missing this. They were minimalizing God to a ritual or an act and said, God will do this. It wasn't about the ark. Patient doesn't need us. Just this is just a side note. Sorry, I stopped. Um, God's reputation doesn't need us. Isn't it interesting that how many generations later this is? 10 to 12 generations later, and the Israelites have forgotten all that God did. And there's these people called the Philistines who weren't even around. They, were, they hadn't even sailed, okay, from where they were coming from. And they heard about what God did 10 to 12 generations ago. And they're actually fearful. They're the fearful ones. God's reputation doesn't need us. But how many times do we be like, man, I got to make God look good. All right, I better make him look good in this situation because he needs me on this one. God doesn't need us. Keep reading. Verse 9, take courage and be men, O Philistines. Okay, so their captain comes around. All right, everybody settle down. We got this, okay? O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you, be men and fight. 
Verse 10, so the Philistines fought and the Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home and there was a great slaughter, a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell and the ark of God was captured and the two sons of, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. So you just see, think about that. So they had 4,000 slaughtered. Now they have 30,000 slaughtered. You think God's trying to get their attention here? There's 55,705 males in the Upper Perk School District, okay? According to the latest census, okay? 55,705. That's just 34,000 deaths in a couple-week period. You think God was trying to get their attention? Powerful thing. He's 30,000. You still don't get it. You still don't understand who I am. So number three, the heart that rejects God will try to repress God. We'll try to repress God. Um, Now, before I go any further, caveat here, we can't repress God, okay? But they try to repress God. The human heart will always try to repress God. Some uh, synonyms of repress um, is quell, subdue, crush, extinguish. We're all guilty of this. Sometimes we try to suppress God, um, the glory of God, by taking credit for ourselves. Uh, We do this as Christians. We, We suppress God's glory in a situation because we're like, let me take the credit for this. Uh, we can do it better attitude. Um, so we often take matters into our own hands. Um, and we use phrases like, I don't really need God in this. We don't say it, but we think it. Like, I don't need God. God, I got this one under control. So God will accomplish his plans. No man, no group of people, no religion, no ideology will suppress what God has planned. And we see here, the Israelites have to learn the hard way. You know, how, how many times do you or do I Try to suppress the glory of God. You see, we got to remember context here, what Israel was all about. God chose Israel to be a light among the nations. The world was a dark place. The world will always be a dark place. And God chooses a people. If you go back to Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to land and I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was chosen to be a people that made God big in the culture of that day, and they failed miserably. God's glory, God will will complete his glory, no matter if we're part of it or not. And here he has to get Israel's attention to say, you've missed why I called you. Jump ahead to 1 Peter. You don't have to turn there just for sake of time. But Peter reminds Israel. And and this is the beautiful part of the gospel, okay? It opens it up to all of us, okay? And he says, he reminds them, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God. Glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter reminds Israel, like all the way back in the New Testament, moving forward to the New Testament, that listen, like you guys are a chosen people. But then the beautiful thing is Paul follows that up in all his letters and he speaks to both the Jew and the Gentile and he says, all of you are now salt and light. You're called to make my name great in all the earth. 
That's, that's your purpose, okay? We have a lot of purposes, and not all of them are bad purposes on this earth. This man who's doing his work in Africa is a good purpose. I love what he's doing. The sad part is, is he's not accomplishing the greatest purpose, making God's name great among the nations. We've removed God. So people every day, um, as they reject God, they try to repress God. They attack his characters. They blame him by using phrases like, if God is a loving God, then why do bad things happen to good people? We cannot repress the name of God. We can't replace him. We can't turn God into a religious ritual. But here's what we can do. And this is the beautiful thing. We saw it today, the baptism, we can repent, okay? And that's, that's the condition of every human heart has, can either reject or repent, okay? And, and when you see what Israel went through, doesn't it make the decision easier? But it, it's really not easier. Like, wouldn't it make sense then you say, man, the world around us, why don't more people turn their hearts to God and follow and pursue what he has for them? Well, we know that the heart is deceitfully wicked, has no chance without God. And so we bring that all, all together today, okay? And we say, so where do we start? Like, where, where, does this, where does this begin? First of all, these three words that we have up here, okay? Um, replace, ritualize, repress God. These are a great tool for anyone that you have a conversation with about God, Jesus Christ. Their heart is probably in one of these categories, They've either all together replaced God and say, hmm, there's other ways. Maybe they're an atheist. Maybe they're in a naturalism, like nature will do it for me. Maybe they're just into straight up like humanism, like I read about. The next one, ritualize God. This is where a lot of people in our area are. Uh, God has been a comfort to them. It's almost like a genie. Okay, we've, we've heard that, where, where God is just kind of something that we put on the shelf and we take them off when we need them. Some people go to church way more than you and me go to church. They're there every week. They're faithful. They're faithful. They're faithful. However, they're missing who God is and the relationship that they can have with him through Jesus Christ. Then the last one, repress God. Um, They've turned God. They're trying to take glory for themselves. They're living lives for themselves. This is hard in our comfort consumeristic culture, okay? This is why we can be guilty with this, even if you're a Christian. We repress God by by focusing on our um, lives too much. It becomes all about us. And so where do you start? And this is what I just want to end with. Um, for this reason, Philippians 2, 9 to 12 says, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. This right here, Israel didn't get this right now. They, they don't get it. But it's all leading to the cross. And at some point, the Israelites are going to say, you know what? God's going to say, I got to send a savior. They're just not going to get it. And he sends Christ to save the world. So then today's passage points to one powerful truth. If you have fallen asleep or it was too long a service, just get this. Today's passage points to one powerful truth. God is God and we are not. This is something that should bring both freedom and fear for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. God, I, I have to confess that there's so many times that I try to replace you, repress you, God. And so many times I just need to have a heart of repentance and recognize who you are in my life, God. So I pray that for us that are believers, God, that we would make your name great among the nations. That's what we're called to. That's what Israel was called to. May we learn from their mistakes, not be judgmental, but say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. 
God, for those in here who maybe don't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that, that this would um, be a litmus test for where their heart is, God. Their heart will give an answer. Every heart will give an answer to who you are. So I pray, God, that today, if there's anyone in this room that has repressed you or tried to replace you, God, or turned you into a ritual, that they would repent from that, God, and receive salvation through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you again for your word and the power of it. Help us to go out and live this in your name. Amen.